Hey, listen, today is Orphan Sunday. I want to welcome both campuses that are listening in. I want to share this verse with you, written by the brother of Jesus. His name is James. He wrote this in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted. I believe that verse is a cry and a call to believers that as Christ followers, God calls us into his mission to care for the orphan. And I believe today we want to get some very specific concrete steps for you to be able to take as a person or as a family. I believe God is calling all of us to answer the cry of the orphan. Even though the commitment for you and me might not look the same, our commitment might look different, however, the call is equal. God is inviting the church to be the church in these days. And today, I believe God is going to lead us to take a very spiritual faith step. And I hope you're ready to walk with that. And today, as we kind of begin this time, uh, we've got a great rare treat I've got a friend all the way from South Sudan. I met this lady several years ago, and she's an amazing woman of God. And, and today, you're going to get to find out why. Help me give a manner of welcome to Pastor Pashani, everybody. Come on. Welcome. Pastor Rashani, it is a treat indeed to have you here with us, physically with us. Many of our teams that have gone over to Harvesters got a chance to meet you in a very personal way. Over a decade ago, we partnered with a ministry that started from a cry right here. Somebody in, our, in, in America said, I need to go over and, and answer what, what could happen there in this place called Sudan. War was broken out. A lot of families were lost, and there were literally kids living on the streets over there. Maybe you've heard of the Lost Boys and some of these, these documentaries that are done with what happened during that very particular time in human history. Well, this family went over there and had a vision, and they saw this vision multiply. Go from being a school to even a, a hospital to an orphanage, all these different levels and layers of ministry and mission. And as I had the treat to go there a couple of times, I got to actually connect with Pastor Pashani here. And so, Pastor, I want to ask you today, with harvesters in this ministry in Ye, South Sudan, what was your role in serving there, uh, both not just with the orphan care, but also with the community right there in Ye? Good morning, church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise right, thank you. Um, I came to South Sudan in 2003. And uh, at that time, it was the tail end of the first war, the first war with the Arabs. At that time, it was just the nation of Sudan. And uh, with Mama Lily, we took the first batch of 70 children whose parents were literally blown up by the war. We took them, we, we housed them, we loved them, we cared for them. And I was given the role, and I thank God for that, to administer the orphanage. And uh, early morning, the children will wake up at 6.30 a.m. and they will assemble in the dark dining hall and they begin by praising Jesus, thanking God for who he is. And I would share the devotions with them, pray with them, and they would go to school. And uh, we started the first Christian school right there in Yei. We opened up the school to the community as well. We had more than 300 children from the community coming to the school because there were no schools. Everything was blown up by the war. 
and uh, I brought in the Christian curriculum. We taught the children the Word of God. The Word of God was brought right to the classrooms. They would gather together for their early morning chapel services, and the teachers were also discipled in the Word. Uh, and because of the school being open to the community, we had many children coming, and many of them found Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior within the school setting. And on Sunday, they would come and fellowship at the church. Uh, before the church was opened up to the community, it was merely a captive audience, meaning that only the people at the compound, the widows and the house mothers will gather together. But through the school, the Lord connected me to the children and I was able to visit uh, the homes of the children. The extended families would uh, share Christ with them and invited them to a Sunday church and therefore the church grew. I thank God for that from 70 to more than 200 people. And a strong emphasis on discipleship. The children were all disciples beginning from the age of probably five, six years of age. They taught the word of God. They would meet in the weekdays, in the evening, and they were taught the love of Jesus, ministering to them and mentoring them. That's good. And I would definitely say yes. I would say there's nothing like our teams waking up in the morning before sunrise and you hear the voices of these kids praising the Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, talking about wanting to get up early and wake and rise and shine. And, and not only these kids, worshipers of, of the one and true God, they're also memorizing not just verses, but passages of scripture. And I was challenged as a pastor watching the discipleship that's obviously happening with these kids and also with this community through this ministry of harvesters. Well, here we are several years later and what is the, give us a window into what it looks like now to be in South Sudan. In 2011, South Sudan was the world's newest nation. Um, she enjoyed peace not too long. The conflict broke out and um, the, ch the nation was thrown into utter confusion and violence and unrest. And many of the South Sudanese had to fled South Sudan and they went into Uganda, the neighboring country. Uh, to Kenya and some to Ethiopia. Ye at that time was virtually unaffected. There was peace at that time. But in the year 2016, the second conflict broke out again. It was bad, very bad. And many of the South Sudanese fled to Uganda. And right now, there are more than 2 million refugees, South Sudanese refugees, parked in the nation of Uganda. And um, I hear stories, I go to refugee camps and uh, visit them and I came across many of our children, many of our adults, our teachers from South Sudan and I found them in the refugee camp and uh, I would sit down and listen to their horror stories. Women, children, young boys, young girls uh, walking around with no hope, you know, this, or ask where is God? But to listen to the woman sit down and build a relationship to allow them to unload what they have gone through. These women have been, you hear stories of how they've been tied to trees and the soldiers lining up and raping them one by one in front of their husbands and in front of their children. Children hiding in swamps under the river to, to escape the gunshots and eating, you know, shoots or fruits or whatever. And on. I mean, the story goes on. And you, I mean, I sit there, I have no words to say. I can't tell them there is God, God loves you. But being able to listen and allow the love of Jesus to flow through me and to touch them, to hold them, to hug them speaks volumes. Sure, sure. 
Well, I know this, as we've partnered with Harvesters, we've been in two locations there, uh, the, the place of Ye and also in Terrakeka. Um, I think this is an interesting part of the story too, uh, Pastor, because you first began in Malaysia. That's your home country. That's right. And through a series of short-term mission trips, you found yourself working at Harvesters. Well, mm-hmm. you have since uh, left Harvesters, and tell us maybe what happened since you left, and then how have you gotten reunited with the Harvester mission again? Right. I served in South Sudan for 10 years, and in 2013, I left South Sudan uh, because the the church was, laced, was raised up to a national identity. The pastor was raised up, mentored him. He was one of my staff in the, teach, in the school, and he felt the call of God. And so he left. He sent me to a Bible school right there in Ye. And I had the blessing to mentor him for 10 years. And he's the pastor, Pastor Hillary, who's still right now in Ye. He's never left. Ye, even in spite of the conflict, he says, I will not leave Ye. If I have to die, I will die here in Ye. And uh, the church has grown. Our older children, our older orphans who have been discipled now go to the communities and bring the word of God. At the time when I was there, there were more than 30 house cells in the community. Every week, the children would go out with the word of God and telling the love of Jesus, teaching the word of God, praying with them, and they would come back with amazing testimonies. And the, and the children have grown. And therefore, I felt I need to step back and allow the church to take its national identity, letting them know that this is a South Sudanese church. And so I prayed and I sought the Lord and therefore I left South Sudan in 2013. Went back home to Malaysia, but I was still serving in a small little church, waiting to come back to Africa. Africa, Sudan was still burning in my heart. And I was thinking I was going to go back in December 2016 uh, to go to another place to start a Bible school. But lo and behold, 2016, the conflict broke out in December and I felt the Lord closing the door. And I said, God, what happened? And he says, you're going back to Uganda. And I said, Uganda? He says, yes. Not knowing that South Sudan is, South Sudan is now parked in the nation of Uganda. So when I go to Uganda, I see many of the South Sudanese refugees. That's good. That's good. So now that you're in Uganda, obviously you're not working with harvesters. You're kind of there just on faith and letting God lead. Mm-hmm. Tell us some of the things that are happening and what are you giving focus to while serving in Uganda right now? Right in Uganda, we, I still visit the, the, the rhino camp, that's the, where the South Sudanese are there. It's about two hours um, ride on a four-wheel drive from Arua. Arua is where I stay, and Arua is the right north of uh, Uganda. And uh, when I went there early um, in 2015, in the month of April, when I came back, and I visited the refugees camp, and it was World Refugees Day. Uh, I was not much interested in the celebration. I wanted to go and f- have a feel of that place, what God is saying to my heart. And the minute I went there, I had these little children, hundreds of them, running to me and holding my hands and saying, please go find my mother. Mm. They have been going around searching. And you know the stories, mothers have died in the war and they do not know and their relatives brought them. And the older ones, youth, came to me and said, please come and help us. Now you can't hear this, you can't see this and go back and i be comfortable in my little, little life. And so I began to pray and seek the Lord and I, and I started moving to the camp and I got hold of South Sudanese women who knew me from Ye and I started discipleship with the women and with the children. In the camp, there are more than 15 clusters. 
clusters meaning because they are separated according to their tribe to the to the tribes and uh, and when i went to the when i did a trip around the camp i went into a place called ariwa when i went to ariwa i saw many of our harvesters orphans in their harvester school uniform in a government school mm -hmm. and they were in a formal government school but in that class there were more than 300 children and they came to me and they says uh, please ask mama lily to come and start a school here for us please tell harvesters to come and help us so I heard that voice, I heard that cry, I took pictures, and I sent them back to Harvesters, to Mama Lily and the Bob. And today, we see what God has done. We see a school now set up right there in Rhino Refugee Camp, Ariwa, but under the name of Bringing Hope Through Harvesters. The school has been completed. I thank God that being on the ground, I, I was able to uh, connect with the government, with UNCHR and the uh, authorities that I will need permission to have the school going. And the school has been done, four classrooms, with solar power, and people are amazed at that building. And I tell them, it's not the building, it is God. It is God who has provided. It is God who has the heart for refugees. These are his people. And next year, February, we hope, February or March, we are hoping to have the official opening in Rhino Camp. Now, apart from refugees, I go to the prison and minister at the prison as well. The men's prison, the women's prison, and the children's prison. Uh, what do I do there? I'm uh, raising up Christian leaders and Christian pastors in the prison. Uh, many of them are there for 10 years, 20 years. But I know that when they leave that four walls of the prison, they will be leaders, they will be church pastors and I love doing that and uh, the Lord has also connected me to church uh, pastors uh, right there in Arua they've told me to come and come and train our leaders our pastors who are in the remote villages who have had no form of uh, Bible school training or gone to Bible school because they don't have the resources and so pastors are being trained and then challenge them to plant churches in areas where there are no churches so I travel a lot on the bus 100 miles 200 miles but I'm just loving it. God's grace is amazing. When he puts the, in the love of Jesus in our heart, as Paul said, the love of Christ propel, compels me yeah. to do what he has called. That's good. That's yeah. good. You know what? Don't ever underestimate what a single woman can do when she says yes to God. And when I think about the work of God and what God's doing in Uganda, and here we are, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles removed, countries separated, co continents apart. What can a church like Mount Ararat do in connecting with harvesters, but also connecting with you, Pastor, as you continue to bring light and hope and the good news of Jesus in Uganda? You can do lots, <laughs> but zero down to two things. Number one, you can partner with harvesters and sponsor the orphans. You may wonder why orphans in South Sudan, well, children are still coming into Yay. Children are still coming to Terekeka. They will need help. Number two, come on a short-term mission trip to Uganda, to Rhino Camp, to the prison. Come and see for yourself. To hear is one thing, to read is something, but you going out there and seeing and being with the people will transform and change your life upside down. I guarantee you, your life will never be the same. Right. You will be so blessed. It's been such a humbling experience to me. When I go to refugees camp, each time I come back and I say, thank you, God for that humbling experience. I say, how blessed I am back in Malaysia. And I say, what more can I do, oh God, to see these children hungry? I, see, I ask, when I meet the children, have you eaten? And they laugh at me, eaten? Are you kidding? And I said, 
I've not eaten for three days. And they're running and they're smiling. I mean, God, and what do you do? And the women sitting down there, there's one lady, I think the picture I saw with a child, and she had just came to a refugee camp, and I, she said, my husband was just killed, shot two weeks ago. I mean, you just sit down there and hold their hands, and I mean, and this is ministry. Even if you can come and minister to one child, and hold a child, and love the child, and being able to come and hold the hand of a woman who's lost her husband, or come and be a comfort to a man who's lost his wife and children, that one person That's right. counts for eternity. That's right. It's over and over again, the Bible, you see Jesus goes to one person, the Samaritan woman by the well. He walked all over just for that woman in the well, John chapter 4. We went to a pool that but said that he came only to one crippled man for 38 years. We can do for that one That's right. person. Now, otherwise, a very safe place. I will coordinate the trips for you guys. Make sure it's a good hotel, <laughs> good guest house, flushing water, good toilet. You want good food, pizza, chicken, I make sure you can have that. All right, you want to go have a swim, you can do that. You want to go out to a safari camp, we can organize that. Some of them, they come to the trip to Uganda all the way. They say, can we go and look at the elephants and the giraffes? We can have all that, all right? So please partner with the church and come on this short mission trip. Don't worry about the finances. Some of you are thinking, I don't have the money. I don't have leave. Leave all that and say, Jesus, here I am. Right. I will myself, Lord, here I am. And he will direct. All he asks is, here I am. That's, That's all good. it takes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I tell you. I love how she says it. Thank you, Pastor, for being here on 20117 year. I love it. I love it. I love it. God is so good and God is on the move. I don't want to be on the outside of his movement. And I don't want you to be on that outside either. Hey, today, as we continue this conversation, I, I thought we need to bring another voice up here today. And actually, she's going to bless us by bringing somebody else up as well. But help me welcome to the stage our very own Susan Wander. Come on, come on. morning. It feels like we've already had church. She's amazing, isn't she? I want to be her when I grow up. She's unbelievable. She is unbelievable. Many of you that have been here a while at Mount Ararat know that we do this every single year. And some of you, it took a few years, and then all of a sudden on year three of Orphan Sunday, you decided God was moving you to something. And then some of you are now just looking at your watch thinking, can it just be lunchtime already? But today, let me tell you, don't tune out because God has a purpose for you being in here on this day to hear what Pastor Bashani said, to hear what my son Joshua is going to say, just to maybe even get the material that's out on the People Street during Next Steps. But the exciting part to me about orphan care is that God calls the body of Christ to be the answer to the devastation of orphan care. And that's exciting. He didn't call the U.S. government. He didn't call the Army and the Navy, the Air Force and the Marines. Here's what he called. He called you and me. And we get to be the ground troops on the floor being able to go out and to reach all of these kids that need moms and dads. Because when the Bible says to care for the least of these means that we're caring for Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're less of a person. They're an incredible person and God is wild about them. 
The least of these means they have the least of a support system. They don't have a mom. They don't have a dad. They don't have a school. They don't have a place to find clothing or food. And church, here is the excitement of that. Where that feels like it could be hopeless, we get to arrive with hope. We get to say, look what Jesus did for me, so I'm going to do this for you. Orphan care is very near and dear to my heart, and many of you all know our story. Uh, For the ones of you that are new to Mount Ararat, my husband and I adopted three amazing kids six and a half years ago from Ethiopia. They're fabulous. And I will tell you, we were um, thinking that we were going to adopt a six-month-old baby girl and name her Ruby. I don't know where I got that name, but in my mind it sounded, woohoo, Ruby, like a jewel. And so we were going to adopt a six-month-old baby girl and name her Ruby, and that was going to be our family, the three of us. I am unable to have biological kids, and I tell you what I've learned through this orphan care process. If that is your story, I want you to know you have not been forgotten by God. Because God does not have a plan B for me. He has a plan A. And what I learned very quickly in this adoption movement is that my kids are God's plan A for me. And so if you're sitting here right now and you're struggling with infertility, let me say to you, I know that right now you're rolling your eyes as hard as you can roll them at me because I was where you are rolling my eyes. But I am telling you this, you are not forgotten by God. He has a plan for you that's bigger than you can dream or imagine. Maybe fertility is not not your issue. Maybe infertility is not what you struggle with. You just know God's called you to do something more. Today, you're going to find out what that more could be. Because we're not all called to adopt. We're not all called to sponsor. We're not all called to go to Uganda. But we are all, if we have the Holy Spirit living in us and we are following hard after Jesus... He has called us all to something. Because you can't have a changed life and not want to show that change to someone else and provide them a changed life. The scripture is full of what God calls us to do for the fatherless and for the orphan. Let me read you some of those. Psalm 82.3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Matthew 18, 5, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. If you have asked Jesus to be your savior and you are walking in a relationship with him, you already know what adoption feels like because you have been adopted into God's family. Through Jesus. And we know that he didn't leave us to live this life alone. To put a tent up in a dusty pit and try to figure out how to walk the hard parts of this life alone. No, God gives us his Holy Spirit and every day he helps us know how to move. You know what adoption tastes like because if you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and you are walking as a Christ follower, you have already tasted the importance of adoption. Psalm 68, verses 5 through 6 say, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. 
God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. He is a father to the fatherless. Let me tell you when I knew this absolutely 100%. When Ed and I were paper chasing, uh, when you were adopting, you chase papers for about two years, it feels like. And we were in the middle of our, we call it a paper pregnancy. We were in the middle of chasing all of these papers, and we ended up having to go to Richmond one day. And while we were in Richmond, this impossible thing happened where they were refusing, refusing to um, give us the stamp that we needed to send our documents to Ethiopia. And I was just staring at it, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Here we are, so close, and you're not going to give me the one stamp I need. And they would not give it to me. And in that moment, I just began to pray and say, okay, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And this verse in Exodus came to my mind, and it said, I'm going to fight for you. You just need to be still. And then he reminded me, I am father to the fatherless. Let me be a father to your kids. And in that moment, I know this does not sound like miraculous, but it was miraculous for us because they were absolutely adamant they would not give us that stamp on that paper for that dossier. And all of a sudden, it's like the heavens opened, and they decided, okay, we'll stamp it. They stamped it and told us to walk quickly and move. I can tell you time after time after time how God has showed up to say, I am the father to the fatherless. Our entire adoption journey, anytime we thought there was a hiccup, God showed up and said, no, I'm the father to the fatherless. Let me take care of your kids. You just get to sit here and be an observer to that. Whenever we think orphan care is overwhelming, God reminds us, he's got this. He's just allowing us to participate. Let me tell you some statistics because I know many of you in this room uh, might be number people. So let me tell you some of the statistics to bring a little bit of light to what it looks like um, in today's age with our orphan crisis worldwide. Somewhere in the world, a child dies every four seconds. Nearly 21,000 children today will die worldwide, and most of this are from preventable diseases. There are an estimated 210 million orphans worldwide, and that is more than half the population of the United States and Russia, 210 million. Every day, 5,760 children become orphans. Every year, 2 million children become orphans in Africa alone. And every year, over 14 million children age out of the orphan system. That's one every 2.2 seconds. Now, in America, we have the foster care system, and we know when they age out, it's 17, 18 years old when they are, they are aged out, 18 years old. In other countries, it can be as young as 12 and 13. I want you to let that sit on you for one moment. A 13-year-old has to all of a sudden become an adult. They have to figure out where their next meal is going to come from, where they're going to sleep that night, how they're going to care for themselves. Some of you sitting in the room have 13-year-olds. No. There's no way. How would we ever imagine that a 13-year-old would be able to be an adult? But that's what's happening 
in the orphan crisis. In the United States alone, there are 400,000 kids in foster care. And here's what I would say to you, church. We are an incredible body of believers, the global church. And if we took the call to stand up and answer the orphan crisis, we would have more people than we do kids in foster care saying, I want to help. Does that make sense? We can stand up and say, I want to be a foster parent. I want to help with this crisis. Because we know what it's like to be saved. We know what it's like to be adopted into the body of Christ. 400,000 kids. Orphan care can be overwhelming. Those statistics alone, they make me want to go and just hide in my room and say, it's too much. I don't even know how to even start with that. How do you even impact a number like 210? Well, we do like our series says, you do it for one more. For one at a time. For the kid in Stafford that needs some respite care. For the kid in America that needs a permanent adoption placement. For the kid in Uganda that needs you to go and you get to experience life beside them in their day to day. We do it for one more. Because 210 million is overwhelming, but one child at a time is not. For one more kid, we can make a difference. And we make a difference because a difference has been made to us. We don't do this because we want to be these great rescuers. We do it because we've been rescued. And we want other people to be rescued. The more I dive into adoption, the more I understand my own adoption in Christ. You guys, he pulled us out of a pit. He saved us from ourselves. He is wild about us. He loves us more than we can even understand. I want you to imagine these kids that are considered the least of these because they have the least of a support system. Imagine if we were to say, I'm going to take seriously what God did for me, and I'm going to go do that for somebody else. I'm going to remind them every day that they are wildly loved, no matter if they are great and amazing kids or if they have got the worst trauma I've ever seen and it's going to be the hardest road ever. Because that's what Jesus does with us. Think about the junk in all of our pasts. He still loves us. We get to do that for kids. And that is an exciting thing because he doesn't just save us from our sins and then plop us there and say, go have a good life. No, he doesn't do that. And that's not what we do with kids. We pull them up and we say, oh my goodness, what trauma you have had. Did you hear some of the stories that Pastor Pishani said? Just to sit there and love them and listen to them. For one more. For one at a time. Every year we tell some story about a family that's in, either embraced foster care or adoption or um, we have, which is amazing to me, we have some families that they're respite foster care families. They do it for just um, maybe uh, emergency care, like 24, 48 hours until a placement can be had. 
Uh, today, I wanted to, to hear a little bit about the other side of that and what it feels like a little bit to be an adoptee. So my son is going to come out, Joshua Wanderer. Here he is right here. Isn't he cute? Joshua and I have been a family for six and a half years. Um, his sisters and Josh joined my husband and I uh, from Ethiopia, like I said. Um, they were um, three, six, and 14. Um, and now Joshua is a senior. And so now he has the annoying mother who every single time an event happens, I'm like, this could be the last time this year, just smile. And he's like, mom, seriously. The first day of school this year, I was like, Josh, it's your senior year. It's your first day. Can you let's, he goes, mom, we're running late. No pictures. I'm like, it's your senior year. He's like, fine, mom. So now I'm like driving him nuts. I'm totally driving him nuts. But they, um, they have been the greatest, absolute greatest joy of our entire lives. I can't even, I'm not even going to look at him when I say that because it'll make me cry and I'll embarrass him and myself because I'm an ugly crier. But I'm telling you, they have been the greatest joy of our lives. People come up to us often um, in front of my children, which can be a bit awkward, and they'll say, oh my goodness, don't you wish you used to have, don't you wish that you had your own kids? He's my own. He's my own. And I will say this. When I say there are no plan Bs, it's because I can't ever imagine my life without this one. And he's my plan A. And he makes life every single day uh, more joy, more enjoyable, more enjoyable. I'm going to shut up now, okay? And I'm going to ask you some questions. All right, Joshi, when you were 14, you joined our family. Tell me a little bit about what that was like, joining a family of two white parents and two English speakers, parents that did not speak Amharic. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say the challenge was definitely getting used to the culture because it's way different from, you know, where I'm from, yeah. So it was definitely kind of adjusting to, you know, the school system and adjusting also to you know, new parents and kind of new way of living. So definitely it was a challenge just adjusting to it. So. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Ethiopia. Ethiopia was, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, the culture is very different. Uh, people are like, I feel like it's more, uh, I don't know how to ex explain this, but like they, they want to, you know, get close to you. They want to know more about you. So it's very close culture. It's everybody's kind of like friendly. You know, everywhere you go, they're going to just like, you know, say hi to you. And no matter, you know, strangers or anything, they don't really care about that. Also, the food is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> hey, it's, it it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's good. All right, but um, the cool thing about the food is that I had to get used to when I came to America is that everything you eat in, you know, uh, my country, uh, you have this thing called, I don't know if you guys heard of this before, but injera, it's called, it's like a tortilla. It's like, uh, you know, burrito and everything, but this one is, and there's a sauce. So you have to eat it with your hand. There's no fork or any spoon. I mean, you can use it if you're like eating spaghetti or something, but um, that's Italian. That's something different. But... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so when I came up here, I had to, like, ha like wait, how do everything's spoon, fork, and you have to get used to that. Like, can I, can I have some bread? You know, it's, you know? Yeah. It's, it's different. So it's pretty cool. It's a different change. Yeah. When, when uh, Josh first came home, 
uh, with his sisters, and we would be walking somewhere. And um, I don't know if you all know this, just a fun tidbit of information you'll win on Trivial Pursuit, but Northern Virginia has the highest population of Ethiopians in all the country, which we did not realize. But we see a lot of Ethiopians all the time. And so anytime I would see them, <laughs> I'd be like, Josh, they're from Ethiopia. He's like, Mom. I mean, like, I assumed he knew them or something. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but I'd be like, Mom, they're from Ethiopia. And I'd, like, go over and start talking to him. And he's like, Mom, you do not have to speak to every single Ethiopian that you see. But I felt like we were connected. I felt like we were connected. All right, Josh, tell me, um, what do you wish that people knew about adoption that might be considering adoption, but they're a little bit fearful? Definitely adoption. When I look at it, I think it's a beacon of hope. Um, you know, a kid that's, you know, left by his parents or, you know, his parents passed away or he's, you know, abandoned by his parents or her parents, you're giving them hope. And God is using you to, you know, pour into that child's life and using you as a tool to, you know, uh, serve them, you know, grow with them and uh, pour into their life in a, in a positive way. So if you're thinking about it, definitely, it's, it's number one. Definitely. It's, it's also awesome. So if you could uh, sum up what your thoughts are about adoption, what would that be? When I describe adoption, I, I like to see it as, as a, a new beginning, a fresh start in life. Because you, you're, you, know, you have to adjust to a whole new uh, in a world of living. And definitely, it's an awesome experience. It definitely is a challenge. Nothing is easy about it. But, but also, I, I like to see it as a bittersweet situation, too. Because you know, the sweet part of it is that you get, you know, get to have a new parent and you get to you know, live a life you know, you know, in a pretty cool way. And also, the, the bitter part of it is that moving on from the past definitely is hard. Because the way my story, like my, the, what happened was when I was put adop for an adoption was my mom committed a crime and it wasn't safe for me and my sisters to stay there. So uh, things that were left and things that occurred had affected me. So my first year when I came here, I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with some, some, hard, some hard times. But the cool part is you have parents, you know, that know God, that love God, and they pour into your life and, you know, it help you walk through it. So it's definitely an awesome experience. Yeah. Isn't he awesome? I'm a little biased, I know. I will say um, when you're talking through um, orphan care and adoption, um, it is not, um, I don't want you to think that there's these like rose-colored glasses that everybody's looking through. Just as Joshua just mentioned, there's a reason a child needs a new home. There's a reason a child is considered an orphan. Um, and it's because something traumatic has happened to them. And so when they come into your home, not only are you learning new ways of how to blend your family, they've got trauma they've got to deal with. But the one thing that is so beautiful about that is that just like God doesn't leave us in our trauma, we get to show them what unconditional love is and that we're not going to leave them in theirs. That every day we're going to wake up no matter how hard it is and we're going to love each other. Yeah, there's going to be some days where we're screaming and yelling just like a regular family and our voices are going to be sore because we are so at a breaking point of how do we do this. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, Jesus, Jesus, at the end of the day, for one more. Because here's my hope. My hope is that my kids, not just because they were adopted, but because they're followers of Christ, that when they grow up, they are going to be passionate about orphan care. Not just because they were adopted, but because of what Christ did for them. Does that make sense?
And so let me tell you, we have a responsibility today. And I'm so excited about these next steps. I really am. And I want you to prayerfully consider what your call and what your role is in this ministry. We have the Department of Social Services here from Stafford County. They're an incredible group of people. In years past, we have sent um, many, many families over there. And Ann Cadis, who used to be there, um, she said to me one time, Susan, when I'm looking at families and I see that there's a Mount Ararat family, I'm thinking, yes, I know I can trust that family. That's you. That's amazing. So maybe you're looking for something short-term like foster care. Go out there today and talk to Department of Social Services because they have short-term opportunities, they have longer-term opportunities, and they can be able to talk to you about that. Next, there is America World Adoption Agency. They are based out of Tyson's Corner. We are an America World family. Pastor Andrew mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he was up here on stage with Pastor Todd and myself that um, he and Anna are beginning the adoption process to India for a little girl. They are using an America World Adoption Agency. And so they are out there. We love America World. We, they are solid and they are sound in what they do to unite kids with homes. Um, and then our harvester orphans are on, out on the very end. And let me tell you, that is something that will start a passion in your kids at a young age. If you take one of those cards and commit to sponsoring an orphan, commit to praying for that orphan, commit to beginning a relationship with that child, that changes not just you, but it starts, it starts a conversation with your kids. Because if you start conversations with your kids, it is going to be normal as they grow up to experience orphan care and say, wait a minute, we're supposed to care for the orphan. Can I tell you my very, very favorite thing about my son and my daughters? That they are not orphans. They are sons and they are daughters. And the goal of the body of Christ in caring for orphans is that one day maybe they're not orphans anymore. They're sons and they're daughters. And we know what that feels like because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he calls me daughter and he calls you daughter and son. And that is the reason that we care for orphans, because we know what it's like to be adopted. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to ask, um, Pastor Todd's going to come up, and I, um, he's going to talk to you more about next steps, but then I'm going to ask you to seriously pray about what God's called you to. Father God, we love you so much. Father, I thank you for how you care for the orphans. Father, I thank you and praise you that you use us to do it. How exciting, Lord God. You could do it all yourself. But man, I'm so excited, Father, that you choose to use the body of Christ in this endeavor. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, if there is a man and a, or a woman, um, a couple or a single person, Father, whoever it is in this room, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will move their hearts in a supernatural way. Father, orphan care is not easy. It is not easy. But Lord, you equip us those that you have called. And so, Father, I pray that you would equip hearts right now, that you would move hearts. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank Joshua. Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. Good job, man. Good job, Susan.
You know what, as we have a little bit of space left, we're going to sing one more song again, and we're going to join actually with the song that we learned today. Uh, but as we do this, I wanted to go into a very specific time of prayer. Uh, Pastor Pashani is here with us, and this is such a rare treat for her to be over here in the States, traveling around and getting to share some of the vision with some of the churches that have been Harvester churches. And today, for us to have her here is a gift. And so, Pastor, would you come and just be available here? We want to pray with you and for you. And last hour, God kind of stirred my heart in the middle of this moment to think about how God uses a congregation like ours that's already kind of going. And y'all might not know this story, but there is a family here, uh, Bill DeCourcy, that several years ago with another congregation, they adopted an orphanage and began to sponsor an orphanage over there. Well, all these years later, he now sponsors, he and his family, three orphanages. And they just finished a kitchen project at one of the schools that they're, they're working in. And I just thought, you know what, y'all need to meet a business leader like Bill and his family. He owns Progressive Auto here locally, and he, he puts resources behind uh, his work into this mission and ministry. And then he's just a faithful worshiper and a faithful member here with us at Mount Ararat. Bill, would you come and let us pray with you and for you? And even last hour, as I mentioned that, somebody just stepped out of the crowd and say to him and said to him, hey, Bill, we want to give you $5,000 towards your mission and what God's doing there. And you know what? I can't make that kind of stuff up. Thank you, God, for what God is doing in our midst. So I want you to meet Bill because he's just like you. He's sitting here and God said, go, and he stepped out in faith, and here he is all these years later going. As a matter of fact, they're both working in Uganda, hadn't even met each other yet, so they need to make that relationship too, because who knows what God could do as they partner together. And then in this hour, I saw him a minute ago, Dale Goodridge, get up here, man. Come on, Dale. Y'all don't know Dale? If you don't, he's actually a pilot. And just this last year and a half, he started flying for Samaritan Purse. He gets to be the guy that drops off those boxes in other countries. And so I thought, you know what? What opportunity to have him here today and to know, come on, come on. We're, we're, we're a full service church. So stay right there, Dale. Stay right here, Dale. I want you right now to stand up. We're going to sing this new song that's now becoming praise in our lips, praise in our hearts. God is king of our heart, right? And I want to invite some of you, church, to come around these families, and I want you to pray for these people right now. Come on, come pray, come pray, come join me in praying right here as God leads this moment. Come on, move, 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 right here. And as y'all begin to pray, we're going to join in song, but we just believe God is doing something great. It's a miracle. We don't want to miss the miracle. We don't miss the miracle. So as we sing, what step would God have you take this year as we just trust God in this way? Come on, pray for that person by name right now that you're praying with.